0: In Genesis 39, Joseph is a slave in Potiphar's house. He is not alone, however. The Lord is with him. It says in verse 2 The Lord was with Joseph. He was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master. As the Lord blesses and prospers Joseph, Potiphar takes note. He sees the man. He is someone being blessed of the Lord and so promotes him to be the overseer, the supervisor, the manager of his entire estate. However, he's not the only one in this house who takes notice. Potiphar's wife takes notice of the Hebrew slave. She notices he is a handsome young man and she seeks day after day to seduce him to lie with her. Joseph is well equipped. He has faith and the fear of the Lord. He will not forsake the trust of his master. He will not commit adultery and he refuses to commit this wickedness and sin against the Lord. And so he literally flees from sexual immorality. Now, the question is this what happens next? What is the outcome? What happens to Joseph? And in chapter 39 and in chapter 40, we want to look at two things that happened to Joseph. One, Joseph is imprisoned. And two, Joseph is tested. First of all then, Joseph is imprisoned. In chapter 39 from verse 11, as the son of Jacob flees from Potiphar's wife there remains an item that is left behind his garment and Potiphar's wife grabs and keeps the garment this is some kind of tunic and just as Judah's possessions led to his just downfall Joseph's Own possession will lead to his unjust downfall. With this garment in possession, she first of all, in verses 14 to 15, calls on the other men of the house, the other male servants. And she wants to build up a case against Joseph. See the manipulation here. She called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See he hath brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. She has evidence a physical piece of clothing belonging belonging to Joseph. And see how she manipulates the situation with the race of Joseph. Speaking to Egyptian servants who are supposed to be of a higher status than foreign servants. See what this Hebrew servant has done. And she doesn't say what he has done to me, but to us she's fanning the flames of resentment because no doubt they would have resented a foreign man being made the manager to rule over them. And then in verses 17 to 18, she's not traumatized because nothing's happened to her, but she keeps the garment beside her, waiting for her husband to to return home. And then in verse 17. She says to her husband. The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us. Came in unto me to mock me. I lifted up my voice and cried. And he left his garment with me. And fled out. See here's the evidence. Here's what he's done to me. He tried to rape me. And Potiphar. Understandably. Hears this, and it says his wrath was kindled, and then he places him into prison. And so here is Joseph imprisoned for the crime of rape against Potiphar's wife. But there's something strange about this passage. He's in prison, that makes no sense if a free Egyptian committed adultery or rape, the punishment is death. Never mind an Egyptian slave and never mind a foreign slave. What's going on here? Most commentators agree it seems like Potiphar doubts the testimony of his wife. You see little glimpses here, just little implicit truths that come out here. Day by day, she tried to seduce Joseph with other servants in the household. Surely, some of the servants would have seen it, and Potiphar would have known about it. Look at the language of Potiphar's wife. She's always blaming him. In verses 14 to 15, it is, he has brought in this Hebrew slave. And then verses 17 to 18, it is what thou has brought Into this house. And what prison is Joseph in? Not a common prison, but the personal prison of the king of Egypt. And when it says the king of Egypt here, it means Pharaoh. Actually, most of the pharaohs were not called pharaohs, Pharaoh is actually the name of the palace. And they were called the kings of Egypt until a certain point of time, I think it was 13th century BC, when they start, stopped being called kings of Egypt and pharaohs of Egypt. It would be like the president being called the White House. That's where the name pharaoh comes from. But in the king's personal prison, and who is the captain of the guard who oversees the king's personal prison? Potiphar. And so why would Potiphar take a man who's potentially raped his own wife be put in the personal prison of the king? It seems most likely he doubts his wife's testimony. What do we learn about all of this? First of all, do we not learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ? On what basis was Joseph condemned on the basis of false witness? On what basis was our Lord Jesus Christ condemned on the basis of false witnesses? Matthew 26, 61, when Christ is on trial before the Sanhedrin, false witnesses come in and this is their testimony. He said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. They lie, he never said that. He used the analogy of the temple in John 2 to teach that his own body will die and his own body will be raised from the dead. But he never said, this temple here, I am going to destroy it. And so these false witnesses Manipulate the truth so that Jesus Christ would be unjustly condemned. And this is why we as Christians should always hate false witnessing. Psalm thirty-five, eleven: False witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. Josephs know what it's like to be the subject, the victim of false witnessing that causes him great pain. Our Lord Jesus Christ knows the emotional experience of people lying about you and you suffer for it. And maybe we know that experience too. People have lied about us, twisted what we've said, manipulated the truth. And we have borne the repercussions and it has hurt us to the depths of our soul. Christ knows what it's like so he can have compassion on us. And it helps us to hate any false witnessing from ourselves and from others. But there's a second lesson here. And it's a lesson in justice. Now, we want to be balanced here. The Bible is very, very clear that when a woman cries out, justice should be given. Compassion and help should be given. And if she has been subject to such sins, she should be protected and the perpetrator should have the full arm of the law against her. Black and white, clear as day. But justice means something. This woman is a credible witness. She's the wife of the general of the army. There is real physical evidence here with a garment. And she establishes the facts of the case. And in many courts, she may even win against Joseph. But despite the evidence, despite the credibility, despite the facts, Joseph is completely innocent here. And so we as Christians need to learn not to be like the world. The world today hears things, hears supposed evidence, hears suggested facts, and then automatically makes a conclusion. And that's sinful and wrong. The Bible says there must be two and three witnesses. That's why our courts will test facts, test evidences. Is it merely circumstantial or is there substance in these things? And we're innocent until we're proven guilty, not by popular opinion, but by a court of law. And so we as Christians should not be like the world when people are accused in our community, in the media, in politics, even if you think you know all the facts, even if you think you have the evidence, do not condemn anyone until by a lawful court, two or three witnesses, clear evidence, and the court has made the decision. George Lawson, a Puritan, Believe not every word that is spoken, for there are many liars, many artful deceivers in the world. If a man must be held guilty because some circumstances seem to establish the charges brought against him, what innocence would be safe? Jesus Christ himself must have been justly condemned. For if he did not speak the very words produced by the witnesses that bear testimony against him, he spake words that almost the same sound. And it is very probable that Naboth had spoken words that might be, with great possibility, twisted into blasphemy against God and the king. Yet his death were severely avenged upon the house. Of Ahab, so let us not be like the world, and let's look for biblical justice, real evidence, real facts, a real court of law, witnesses. <coughs> then, when there's a court of law, There is justice. But secondly, we come to Joseph as tested. Joseph is tested. We ask from a human perspective. Why was Joseph sent to prison? But now we must ask the divine perspective. Why did God providentially have it that Joseph would be imprisoned? We don't have to guess, the Word of God reveals. Psalm 105, verse 18 to 19. It's speaking of God sending Joseph into Egypt and why Joseph is imprisoned. Joseph, whose feet they hurt with fetters, he was laid in iron until the time that his word came. The word of the Lord tried him. When it says his feet hurt with fetters, that means he went to prison and was physically bound. And in chapter 40, it says that Joseph was bound in prison. But it's interesting here the Hebrew does not use the pronoun, he was laid in iron. The Hebrew is the word for soul, whose feet they hut with fetters, the soul was laid in iron, and if you know your Old Testament scriptures, you know iron represents affliction, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter four, verse twenty, when the Lord is referring to all the sufferings and afflictions of Egypt. The language is this. The Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace. And that same phrase is used in 1 Kings 8.51 and Jeremiah 11.4. And so the psalmist is saying, When Joseph went to prison and was bound, his soul entered iron. That's the literal Hebrew the soul entered iron, which means the Lord sent him to prison so that his soul would be afflicted. Now, why would God send Joseph to prison so that his soul would be afflicted? Well, continue reading Psalm 105 verse 19. Until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. So until, the word came here means comes to pass or fulfillment. Until the time that the word is fulfilled, the word of the Lord tried him. What's the word of the Lord coming to pass? It's the promise through the dreams in chapter 37. (coughs) The word of the Lord came and said, Joseph, you will be exalted and your own household will bow down to you. Well, until that is fulfilled, you're going to prison so the soul is afflicted and the word of the Lord will try you. And in the Hebrew, that word try means to refine gold in the fire. So God is sending Joseph to prison so that his soul is afflicted Until the fulfillment of the promise and the word of the Lord is going to try, test, refine, and purify Joseph. Why is God doing this? Because Joseph needs to be prepared to rule. Think of all that's needed to be a ruler in Egypt. He needs to be an example to the heathen for godliness for humility, for wisdom. He is eventually going to come to his brothers and he needs to be one who he can forgive. How will he be able to do that? God will work in the graces through the iron furnace of affliction in prison. In Second Peter chapter 1 it speaks about how Christians need to grow. Add to faith patience, that's enduring suffering. Add to patience godliness to godliness brotherly kindness to brotherly kindness charity. How does God work in these graces in Joseph's life and our lives? Romans 5 Through tribulation. James chapter 1. By the trying of your faith. 1 Peter chapter 1. The trial of your faith. Being much more precious than that of gold. Though it be tried with fire. Might be found unto the praise and honour and glory. At the appearing of Jesus Christ. And so God gives Joseph and every believer. A time in the iron furnace of affliction, so that we would grow in these things and we would serve him in our callings. Was that not the case for Moses? Moses was not yet ready to be the leader of his people, so God sent him to the wilderness, did he not? Banished from his own people. What about Israel herself as a nation? She was not ready to go to Canaan, so God sent her to the wilderness to be afflicted. What about David? When God said, David, you're going to be my king, was he immediately made king? No, he must go to the wilderness and suffer under Saul to prepare him to be king. And when our Lord Jesus Christ was anointed prophet, priest and king in his baptism, what happened immediately? He was sent into the wilderness to be afflicted of the devil. And it's the same for you and me. God sends us in his providence into the firmness of affliction so that the word of God might try, test, prove, refine us so that we're sanctified and we're of use in the kingdom of God. And in this prison, uh, there are three ways in which the word of the Lord tests Joseph. The first testing is when Joseph enters the prison. Think about it. He is bound up with iron fetters. It's not like today's prisons. Where you have a room and you leave and you can go for exercise, there's a yard. You're literally bound to a place. It's dark. When it uses the word dungeon in chapter 40, it's the same word as pit in chapter 37. He's in the pit again. How will he respond? It's unfair. Complaining, murmuring, introspection, wallowing. No. When he enters prison, he submits to God's sovereignty. In chapter 39, verse 23, it says that all that he does... There's certain work to be done in prison. The keeper of the guard gives him certain tasks. And he gives his all to perform the tasks. In chapter 40 verse 4. The captain of the guard here is Potiphar. And Potiphar sees Joseph in the prison just like in his house. And Joseph, when he sees the chief butler and the chief baker, he gets on serving them. In fact, later, in verses 6 to 7, after they have dreams, he gets up one morning and he sees the countenance of their face. It says they were sad, they were troubled, they were perplexed. He's not heartless, he's not selfishness, he's not woe is me, it's all about me. He has compassion on them. What's wrong with you? Why are you sad? How can I help you? And then in verse 15, when he expresses that he is unjustly placed in this prison, there's no hint of blame. He doesn't mention his brothers, he doesn't mention part of his wife. He is submitting to God's will, but he recognised he's here unjustly. And so as Joseph is sent to prison, the word of the Lord is testing him and Joseph responds in faith and he is willingly submitting to God's sovereignty. Now how is Joseph able to do this? Because the Lord's with him. In chapter thirty-nine, twenty-one, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favour in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Just like in the Potiphar's house, again, even though he goes down into the pit of the prison, <laughs> bound and eye and fetters unjustly, the Lord is with him. Calvin comments on this and has this beautiful phrase. God, before he opened the door for his servant's deliverance, entered into the very prison to sustain him with strength. It's beautiful. God does not only send Joseph into prison, but God goes into the prison with him to help him. That's what God does with you. Just like Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they were not just simply sent into the furnace in God's will, but God went with them into the furnace to help them. And so when God sends you and I into the iron furnace of affliction, he not only sends us in providence, he enters with us to help us. And the Lord comes in mercy. Here's that old covenant word, chesed. Loyal love, like sticking glue that will pursue us all the days of our life. And so Joseph is a pattern for us. He's a pattern for us in that the righteous suffer. The righteous suffer. There's this false gospel out there, that health, wealth and prosperity, that if you're a man or woman of faith and you're faithful, you will always prosper outwardly. They've never read their Bibles. The righteous suffer. Moses, by faith, defended his people and killed the Egyptian, rightly. And he suffered for it. He suffered for it. The apostles Were faithful to preach Christ. And the rulers said. Stop preaching Christ and him crucified. And they were faithful. They will obey God and not man. And they were imprisoned. The righteous suffer. And this is what we're called to. 1 Peter 2.19 This is thankworthy. If a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongly, when you do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. You endure. This is acceptable with God. For even here unto where you called, Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Do you want to be Christ-like? Then you're going to suffer. Christ unjustly suffered and he was patient. He endured it. And Peter's saying, all you Christians, you're going to be faithful by the grace of God. You're going to obey. You're not going to compromise like Joseph. You're not going to... Sin, you're going to do what you need to do to be faithful to the Lord. And you're going to suffer for it. And you're not going to complain and murmur and woe is me. You're going to take it patiently. Because you're doing exactly what your Savior did. And you're to follow Him. If they've done this to the Master, they'll do it to His students. And Joseph is also a pattern for us in that the word of the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. His mercy was with him. And this is what enables us to endure. If the Lord was not with him, Joseph would not endure. And we need to remember verses like Isaiah 43 too. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. When we're in the fire, when we're in the waters, when we're being afflicted, when we're suffering, we can do it patiently. Why? Because the Lord is always with us. And just as Joseph was able to show compassion and mercy on his fellow sufferers we should likewise do that because often brings us into the iron furnace of affliction so that we can comfort others 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 blessed be God even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ the father of mercies and the god of all comfort Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, so that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God? So, when you are in the iron furnace of affliction. And your flesh is crying you to look within, look within, look within. Look about me and my circumstances. Do what Joseph did. Serve others. Comfort others. Be a source of mercy to others. The second test. The second test comes when two men enter prison. Chapter 40 verse 1. These are two officers of Pharaoh himself. The first is the chief butler. Uh, Literally, this is a cupbearer. In ancient times, uh, those who have absolute rule were very fearful of assassination. And one way someone can be assassinated is by poisoning food and wine. So they would employ someone who they can literally trust with their lives. Who would prepare the wine, taste the wine, to protect the king from potential assassination. Nehemiah, in chapter 1 you'll read, he was also a (coughs) cupbearer. And then we have the chief baker. Someone who would bake bread and cakes and so forth. And again... Someone who was very close to the Pharaoh uh, was trustworthy because he prepared and tasted the food to make sure there's no poison to assassinate the king. And it says that they offended the king. This is actually the word sin here, actually. Literally, they sinned against the Pharaoh. There's a little bit of Hebrew irony here. Uh, Joseph is in prison because he sinned not. And these men are in prison Because they sinned against Pharaoh. How did they offend or sin the king? We don't know. It seems like there is some kind of assassination plot. Because later the um, baker will be hung in a tree. But either way, there's the Pharaoh suspecting something's wrong. And so he imprisons the baker and the butler until the facts are established. And one night, these two men have dreams. And they wake up in the morning. And when it says they're sad, it means they're troubled and perplexed. It's like Daniel when he received his dreams. Daniel seven twenty eight. My cogitations were troubled. My countenance changed in me. This is not just like a, a bad dream. They know something is going on here. God is trying to speak to them. And in Egypt, there were professionals, priests or magi, whose job it was to interpret dreams, but they're stuck in prison. They're perplexed. Who can interpret these dreams? Joseph wakes up, goes to serve the two officers, finds they're perplexed. What's wrong with you? We've had dreams. And then it says in verse 8. They said to him, we have dreamed a dream and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me them, I pray you. Joseph know what's going on here. <laughs> when God revealing and he gives dreams, the dreams themselves come from God. And the ability to understand the message must also come from God. He's implicitly rebuking the religion of the Egyptians. He doesn't say gods, but the God. He's witnessing to the one true God here, Jehovah. And he's saying you, it doesn't matter if you employ men, they can never understand dreams from God. But he is such a man who has this gift from God and he can interpret. The first one to speak is the cup bearer, the butler. In his dream, there is a vine with three branches and they bear grapes. And in the dream, the cup bearer takes the grapes, squeezes them into the cup and gives the cup to Pharaoh. And Joseph, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, understands what this means. The three branches of the vine represent three days. In three days, Pharaoh will bring the cupbearer back into his presence. And the cupbearer will be restored fully to his position to serve Pharaoh and live. But Joseph knows this is from God. And he says in verse 14 But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. He knows that God's using this man. He knows God has communicated this dream. Not only for this man, but for Joseph. And look at that word kindness. It's the same word as mercy in chapter 39. Chesed. Loyal love. And through this butler, Joseph has experienced a word in season. An encouragement from God to hope. Though he's in the pit... He will one day get out and the word of the Lord in chapter 37 will be fulfilled. And so when we are in the iron furnace of affliction, God brings his word to us to give us hope. Romans chapter 15 verse 4, For whatso things were ever written were written for our learning so that through patience and comfort of the scriptures we might have hope. You might be suffering and you're serving and you're still in the prison. It's been a year for Joseph. And God's word comes to you. And what often happens when God's word comes to you when you're in affliction? Just like Israel, we refuse to be comforted. We refuse to take it. God's word comes in the preaching of the word. And he's speaking to you and giving you hope and strength to press on, be patient, endure, take my comfort, wait on me. And we ignore the word. Or you're in your Bible reading and you open the scriptures and it's teaching you lessons and you refuse to be comforted by them. Or maybe it's a friend like when... David was being persecuted and suffering from Saul. It said, Jonathan came to David and strengthened him with God. And so another brother or another sister have come to you and they're praying with you and they're sharing you the word of God to encourage you and you don't receive it, you ignore it and refuse to be comforted. Joseph is teaching us not to refuse it, but to receive it. And let the power of God's word encourage us. There is always hope. But then there's a second dream. And this time it is the baker. And the dream is there are three baskets on his head. And in the third basket there's food. And birds are coming to eat the food on the head and Joseph says this is your dream in three days time you will also be delivered from prison by Pharaoh but you will hang on a tree and here literally it's not a rope hanging it's to be impaled on a tree and birds will come and eat you Joseph's faithful here he's like Paul I am innocent of blood because I do not shun to tell all the counsel of God. Because the word of the Lord can be for our good or it can be for our eternal punishment. And we as Christians, ministers, we all need to know that all the counsel of God is from God. But now there's a third test. The test is when these dreams are fulfilled. In verse 20 to 23, is Pharaoh's birthday. And often, with ancient kings, when it was their birthday or anniversary, they would do acts of generosity and even pardon criminals. And the cupbearer is raised, and the dream is fulfilled, and he's restored to serve Pharaoh. And the baker's dream is fulfilled. He's delivered from prison and he's impaled on a tree for his crime that we do not know of. But then, verse 22 comes. Verse 23, sorry. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. He's in prison. And God's second word comes to Joseph that these two men are going to be delivered from prison, and he asks the butler to remember him, and he thinks that through the butler remembering him, God will remember him and deliver him, and it doesn't happen. And now he's in darkness. Imagine the questions, why? If the Lord's wither me, why am I still in prison? If the Lord's merciful to me, why am I in prison? Why did God send two office bearers? Why would God send dreams? Why would God deliver the butler and not remember me? Why am I in this pit? And as far as I can see, there is no light and there is no hope. Psalm seventy-seven really could be Joseph's words. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will He be favourable no more? Is His mercy clean gone forever? Doth His promise fail forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Maybe you know this experience. You're on the iron furnace of affliction. You have had the word of Lord come to you and it's given you comfort and it's given you hope. But your particular affliction has not ceased and you're still in the midst of it. And you do not know why and you do not know when it's going to end. This is Joseph's experience. The word of the Lord is testing him. Testing him to be faithful, to persevere, to endure, and to trust in God's word. It will not return now and void. The dream of exaltation shall be fulfilled. How should we respond? First of all, we need to respond by trusting in God, no matter what. Isaiah fifty eleven. Behold, all that kindle a fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks. Walk in the light of your fire and the sparks that ye have kindled. When there is darkness and only darkness, and you cannot see any light whatsoever, you make your stay on God. He is God, He does not lie, He is truth. The second thing you do is you remember God's timing. God works. To his own agenda. And his agenda's wise and good. Not ours. How long did Noah have to wait. Before being remembered. A year on the ark. How long did Abraham have to wait. For God's promise. 25 years. How long did Moses have to wait. In the wilderness. 40 years. Our timing is not God timing. And his timing is wise and good. Thirdly, indeed, we have to wait. Psalm twenty seven thirteen I had fainted unless I believed. Wait on the Lord. Wait means to actively pursue God. And you actively pursue God first of all in his word and prayer. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, she may forget. Yet I will not forget thee. You need to wait on the Lord by coming to promises like this, where it seems like he does not remember. When it seems like he's forgotten, do not look to that seam look to the truth. He will not, cannot forget you. And you wait on the Lord by looking to Christ as your example. No one knows this dark experience more than Jesus. What happened to him on the cross? Darkness for three hours. The eternal Son of God, who's only ever known perfect, continual fellowship of love with the Father. And even in his mediatorial state, has only ever known the loving smile of God. Gone on the cross. And then that cry, "My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me?" The agony of the soul in the iron furnace of affliction, where there is no light. How did Jesus Christ get through it? John 10, 17. Therefore doth the Father love me because I lay down my life for the sheep. Did Jesus feel God's love on the cross? No. Did he experience the presence of God as he hung forsaken on the cross? No. What he had was pure faith, trusting in God, And waiting for God's remembrance in the resurrection of the dead. And so you look to Christ. God loves you. You might not feel it. You might not experience it. And you might not see it. But he loves you. And you wait until there's deliverance. And for Joseph, that's another two years. The word of the Lord is testing Joseph so that when the promise is fulfilled, he will be a good ruler, a good prime minister, and he will be able to forgive even his own brothers. We'll look at the exaltation next time. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, We know that often we are sent to the iron furnace of affliction and the soul is tested by the word of the Lord. We pray as we learn from Joseph, and especially the greater than Joseph, thou wouldst help us in practical Christianity to live out our lives. And we pray the purpose of this would be true in our lives, that in our life faith, O Lord, thou wouldst add patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and charity and hope. Fill us in the word. Amen. Let us conclude by singing Psalm 105.